This is our 36th day in the book of Mark, chapter 14. Today we come to the last evening of Jesus' earthly life, eating the Passover meal with his disciples between eight in the evening and midnight. There are several ways to preach, several different kinds of sermons. One is much easier than the other. The easiest way is topical. A pastor or preacher picks out a subject that he believes God's laid on his heart, goes to the Word, finds what we call proof texts out of Scripture to substantiate the preaching. Topical. It's okay, but it's not, it's not the best feeding station for you. The best way is to do what we've been doing every Sunday morning for the past year or so, word, the word after the word after the word, verse after verse, page after page, as it comes along. That way, you preach everything that's there. There have been a number of subjects in Mark that I probably would just pass by because they're tough. But when you preach expositionally, you're getting the whole gospel. You're getting the asparagus and the turnips and all of it. And that's where we are. I probably would not spend much time on this guy normally, but the Bible takes time with him. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the most treacherous traitor who ever lived. His name's Judas. History tells us about many infamous traitors. You historians remember Guy Fox, who tried to wipe out the English aristocracy. You remember Brutus, ancient Rome, who helped assassinate his uncle, Julius Caesar, in the Senate. Many of us remember back in the 50s, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, who were convicted of selling secrets to the Soviet Union and who were executed. Benedict Arnold, way back in the Revolutionary War, who sold out to England. Some of us can remember a man named Quisling in Norway who sold out to the Nazis in that occupied country to the detriment of multitudes of people and was executed for it. But as bad as they all were, None of them equaled this man, Judas Iscariot. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days, Jesus had now come to Jerusalem, the last week of his life. After two days was the feast of the Passover, when the Jews celebrated deliverance from Egypt thousands of years earlier. And of unleavened bread... And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Verse 17, and in the evening, Jesus comes with the twelve, coming to the Last Supper. As they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Truly, verily, I say to you that um, one of you is going to betray me. 
And one by one they began to be sorrowful. Is it I? Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It's the one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. I'll explain that to you in a minute. The Son of Man, Jesus, indeed goes, I'm going to the cross, as it was prophesied, as it was written. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Be good had he not been born. Verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 43, and while he yet spake comes Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude. See, we don't think about that. Not a handful of soldiers, a great multitude, armed with swords and staves, with clubs. There's a reason for that, I'll tell you in a minute. From the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and he that betrayed him, Jesus, had given them a token, or this is how it will happen. Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him, lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to Jesus and said, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. How could he do that? How could Judas, who had been with Jesus for three and a half years, day after day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, watching Jesus heal the sick and on some occasions raise the dead, help the helpless, give sight to the blind, feed the hungry, everything Jesus did was good. How in the world could he betray him and to do so for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price you would pay back in those days if you were a slave owner and you bought another slave? 30 pieces of silver. That's what Judas thought Jesus was worth. Let me talk to you about the Sanhedrin for a moment. That's the ruling group of Jews in Israel. You read about the Sanhedrin in Scripture. 70 to 71 men, notable men, most powerful men in biblical Israel, and they were divided into parties, not unlike our Congress. You had the Pharisees, boy were they conservative, self-righteous men. Then you had the scribes who were attorneys, many of them were Pharisees, and they were just so geared into the legal everything. Then you had the Sadducees, who were the modernists, who didn't believe in anything. And at no time did these three parties ever agree much on anything. It's kind of like the Democrats and Republicans, you know, on steroids, these guys. The only thing they agreed on, these three parties said, yeah, let's, let's get together on that one, is this. Let's kill Jesus. They wanted him dead. Why? Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they just go out and arrest Jesus? He was right there within a mile of them because of the people. Mark 14, 2, they were afraid of the mobs surging through Jerusalem, probably a million people in the area of Judea at that time for Passover, most of whom had either seen Jesus or heard of Jesus, and everything they heard about him was good. 
they, they were in Jesus' side. And so the Sanhedrin was afraid of them. They'll turn on us. They'll drive us out of power. So how do we, how do we get it? Why did they hate Jesus so much? Well, for one thing, they were afraid of Jesus' power. He had incredible power. He could raise the dead. They knew the stories. Just up in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He could turn water into wine. He could make blind eyes see. He fed thousands with the boys' lunch. Jesus had supernatural power. They didn't. They knew he could do anything. They were petrified of Jesus. And then they were jealous of Jesus' popularity. Jesus was popular. They weren't. During this Passion Week, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem on Monday. On Tuesday, he had come down to the temple. He had thrown out the money changers, those crooks in the temple. One commentator calls them the Israeli mafia, who charged double and triple for sacrificial animals. And if you came with shekels or whatever your currency was, they wouldn't take your money. It had to be changed into temple currency, and they gouged you on the exchange. They were crooks. Jesus threw him out. So the people were thrilled by him. There he was teaching in the temple, which he had called his father's house. Boy, that burned up the Sanhedrin. Any action against Jesus would have to be done away from the people, probably in the dark, maybe in the trees somewhere, like Gethsemane. But how? How could this be done? If you read the scripture carefully, the Sanhedrin did not, did not initiate this treachery. Judas did. Mark 14.10, and Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the chief priests. He went to them to betray Jesus. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray Jesus. It was on Judas' initiative. Why would Judas do that? Money. I know that various films and books have attributed to Judas these noble causes. He wanted to overthrow Rome. Nonsense. He did it because he was a thief. He did it for money, sold Jesus out for money. And he knew exactly where Jesus would be, which the Sanhedrin did not. John 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron. That's the little creek that ran down through that deep valley that separated the temple here and the Mount of Olives over here. And at the foot of the Mount of Olives was a grove of olive trees called Gethsemane. There was a garden there into which Jesus entered and his disciples. And Judas, which betrayed Jesus, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted there with his disciples. I know the boys on television tell you that he probably stayed in the Ritz-Carlton because he had all kinds of money. You know, Jesus was rich. That's baloney. He said of himself, I don't even have a place to sleep at night. 
And he would go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, lie down under the trees, sleep. So all that remained now for Judas, he knew the time, he knew the place, how to do it. The Last Supper took place on Thursday night, the last week of Jesus' life, in the upper room, apparently a nice place that Jesus had rented for the dinner, the Passover dinner, there on the south end of Jerusalem. The men would have gathered around 8 o'clock or so sundown, and the dinner would have gone till about midnight. It would have been tasty and pleasant. The men doubtless talked among themselves about a lot of things. You notice coming up the Mount of Olives getting dry, and we need good rain here. Yeah, and Jesus down there, Jericho, and on and on. They were just talking away when all of a sudden Jesus dropped this bomb on them. Amen. Let me have your attention. Yes, Lord. One of you is going to betray me. And they were shocked. Mark wrote, they began to be sorrowful to say unto him one by one, is it I, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, whoever dips with me in the dish, let me explain that to you. What does that mean, dip in the dish? 1971 was the first time Darlene and I ever went to the Holy Land. We got into Jerusalem and it was, uh, we woke up to a snowstorm and everything was grounded. And I called a Palestinian friend down in Bethlehem, been Billy Graham's guide. His name is Elias Subay. Elias was without question one of the best dressed men I ever saw, classy. And I said, Elias, we're grounded, nothing's going, there's no buses going out, nothing, no tour buses. Are you free, you could come and pick us up? He said, of course, I'll be up to get you in an hour or two. He said, I've got a car that goes right through that snow. And he picked us up in a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> Almost died several times, literally, literally. He said, I'll take you to dinner in Ramallah. Ramallah is that village north of Jerusalem. It's probably the spot where Joseph and Mary stopped going back to Nazareth when they missed Jesus, because Jesus was still back at the temple. They probably stopped there at the well in Ramallah. That would have been the natural place. Ramallah was also the place where Yasser Arafat lived and died and was buried. So he takes us into Ramallah, and this was new stuff to us. Everything was a shock, and he said, we have a special dinner prepared, went into this Palestinian home. Lovely table layout. I noticed there were no dishes to speak of and no silverware, no utensils. We sat down. Pretty soon somebody came in with a big tray on which was a freshly roasted young lamb. And then they brought in dishes of, of chickpea, of sauces, of hummus. Uh, I know you can get hummus here, but it ain't. It's sawdust here, buddy. That hummus, oh, that hummus is good. Eat it by the spoonful. Radishes, celeries, carrots, all kinds of vegetables. But no silverware. 
And Elia said, here's what you do. You take the pita bread, you tear off a piece of pita bread, and you put it on the lamb, and the lamb was so uh, easily to, to pick apart, so tender. And you take part of the lamb away, and you dip it in the sauces, and you eat it. There's no silverware coming. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Whoever takes this, what's called a sop in the Gospels, takes this meat and dips it. Whoever does that, you're the guy that's going to betray me. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, and now Judas knew that Jesus knew. John 13, 30, he then having received the sop, left immediately and went out and it was night, it was night. I can see him scurrying away there on top of Mount Zion on his way to the temple to meet with the authorities to sell Jesus out. And it was night, but you see it's always night when you walk away from he, him who is the light of the world. Now, you have to ask yourself some questions. The other 11 men saw Judas leave. Why didn't they stop him? John 13, 29. Some of them thought because Judas has the money bag, he was the treasure for the group. He was a thief. That's why he got so upset at Mary up in Bethany who took a year's worth of spikenard and poured it on Jesus' feet. Why would she waste that? We could have taken the money, put it in the bag, which meant he could steal it. He's a thief. So the disciples thought Jesus had said to Judas, buy those things we have need of. Go out, get out to Walmart, buy some of this stuff. That's why they thought he was going. But there's another chilling reason. John 13, 27, and after the sop, the dipping, Satan entered into Judas. We've heard of people who are demon-possessed. It's a frightening, horrible thing. I've seen it. It's incredible. It's hellish. But Judas was not demon-possessed. He was Satan-possessed. He could have thrown those 12 disciples over the Mount of Olives with the power of the enemy. It's at this point in the Last Supper that Judas left. The disciples had to be shaken. Here they've just been told, one of you will betray me. Judas gets up and goes. Jesus had just said to them, now I'm going somewhere and you can't come with me, guys. I'm sorry. I'm leaving. Tomorrow I'm leaving. They knew that it was on the cusp, maybe, of Jesus' assassination. And the gloom was as thick as pea soup in there. And then Jesus began to teach them. And he said, let's go. They sang a hymn, and they left the upper room to walk about an hour away over to Gethsemane. It's during that walk which you read about in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those four chapters have to do with Jesus teaching the disciples on the way from the upper room to Gethsemane. 
in that you find Jesus' priestly prayer. Awesome. In that walk, he taught them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which if we would read carefully, would clean up a lot of our theology. Now they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus went into the agony of having to drink the cup of sin, mental anguish. Rather than praying with him, the disciples fell asleep. Jesus is praying, Father, let this cup, the degradation of all of mankind's sin. Isn't that what Isaiah had written 500 years earlier? In the spirit, he saw Jesus on the cross, torn, mangled, beaten. And he said, what has this man done to deserve this? And the Holy Spirit said, he's done nothing, Isaiah. It's your sin he's there for. Isaiah 53, mine. It's my sin. It's not the Jews any more than it's Gentiles or the Chinese or the American Indians or the Amazons, whoever. It's all of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have sinned. One very famous TV evangelist said the other night on TV, I believe that 99.9% of all the people in the world are basically good. The book of Romans says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. So which one do you think I will accept? Now he's in the garden, and here comes Judas with a great multitude. That's not what we normally see in pictures or in films. It's usually 15, 20 soldiers. It's not true. I believe, based on what I've been studying for a long time, I believe there were at least a minimum of 1,000 people in that pack of wolves. They would have been both Roman and Jew. We know because they came with swords. The Romans had the swords and clubs. The Jews had the clubs. Here they came, a mixture of people who hated each other but united. Let's kill Jesus. A great multitude. How come so many? Oh, that's a good question. Simple. They were petrified of the power of Jesus. They knew he could speak a word and incinerate them. So they came with at least a thousand people. Peter somewhere got a sword. I don't know how he did that. And he sliced off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, and some people say, we had pretty good aim, cut off that ear. I don't believe he was going for the ear. I think Peter meant to cut Malchus' throat to kill him. And Malchus must have ducked, and the sword cut off his ear. And Jesus reached out and said, Peter, put your sword away. Heal the man's ear. Now Judas comes up, and he that betrayed him, Mark 14, 44, he that betrayed him, Judas, had given this mob the tip-off, whomsoever I shall kiss. He's the guy. Take him. Lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he went straight to Jesus. Master, master, and kissed him. 
That's what it says in the King James. In the original Aramaic, it says, he kissed Jesus fervently. And they laid their hands on Jesus and took him. That's all Mark tells us about Judas. John and uh, Luke tell us more. The book of Acts tells us more, but not Mark. Here's what Luke wrote in the first chapter of Acts. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled concerning Judas, which was guide to those who took Jesus. He had been numbered with us. He had obtained part of this ministry. But now this man purchased a field there south of Jerusalem in that Gehenna Valley with that 30 pieces of silver and he fell headlong. He tried to hang himself, put a rope around his neck, tied it to a limb overhanging that cliff and jumped. But either the rope was weak or the limb was weak and it broke. And he fell headlong and he burst asunder down below among the rocks so that his intestines gushed out. It was known unto all the dwellers in Jerusalem the field is called a keldama. That means the field of blood. Traitor. Why in the world, pastor, would you preach such a message? Because it's in the word, that's why. And a lot of people need to hear it. I don't know if it was last night or early this morning or in this service. I don't know if it's in the sanctuary here or somebody listening now on the radio or watching by television. I don't know. But somebody needed to hear this desperately. Because you are in a world of danger. There was a time when, like Judas, you were close to God. You loved Jesus with a passion. But things have changed, and the deceptiveness of the gradual has crept in, and Jesus is no longer the lovely theme of your song. Other things have taken his place. And under the right circumstances, you'd sell him out if the price was right. And to do so is fatal. It's absolutely fatal. I believe the Holy Spirit has given us this passage as a stark warning. Don't turn him away. Let's pray. God, this is a scary story. We've all known people who've just drifted away. Maybe they didn't even mean to. Like the sheep there in Luke 15. Little lamb didn't mean to get lost, but it did get lost. And the shepherd had to go out and find him. Talking to somebody who's getting lost. Wandering away. And the shepherd, Jesus, is calling them back to the fold. Please, Holy Spirit, bring them back your name. Would you stand with me, please, and hold with us for about two minutes.
the prayer team is coming. If this is you, you really need to pray because you're on dangerous ground. And the altars will be open for you. Just come. Well, I don't know what people would think. What do you care what they think? You're the one that will stand before God, not them. So what do you care? Maybe you have a burden of some other kind on your heart. These folks will pray with you. You can come and pray on your own. But the altars are now open. This is the altar call as Jonathan leads us in this great old hymn. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall thy glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn crown brow, lead me to would you take this simple message do with it as you will it was preached in obedience to your spirit and the word touch every life those here in the sanctuary those listening or watching thank you Jesus for your word it's a lamp unto our feet and bless these dear precious people this week oh God, I pray, keep them safe by night and day. In your name, amen. God bless you, dear people. I love you. Great concert tonight, 7 o'clock. God bless.